Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. How you guys doing? Okay, uh, I don't know if Pastor Willie told you I used to be a teacher. Evidently the word got out because nobody wants to sit on the front row where, where you spit or something like that. I will pay some of it. I'm just kidding. I didn't bring any money. I'll pay you with Monopoly money if you'll sit on the front row. Whatever. It's all good. Uh, so, hey, thank you for having me here. It is so good to be here. I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Uh, this is uh, The hospitality has been wonderful. Everything is great except the weather. You asked God to give me. I'm, I'm not sure what y'all had up your sleeve with that one. I left Columbia yesterday in short sleeve, 70 degrees with the air conditioner on. <laughs> Hoping I make Columbia, South Carolina. Yes, yes, yes. That, you guys are from there? All right, yeah. Wonderful. Well, if you ever make it back, there's a church there for you. So, anyway. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, just want to thank you for having me here and let you know you guys have an awesome pastor. Do you know that? Yeah, just making sure you know that. This, uh, this one very nice lady over here just pointed out, I'm young. I'm actually older than I look. I do promise that. But, but nonetheless, what I think is great about Pastor Willie is, is uh, that he is willing to learn uh, from anybody that he can. He's willing to ask all the questions that he can uh, and to say, anybody help me and that to me, spells a lot of humility. And if you've got a humble pastor, then God can do anything with that. So that's, that's pretty cool. So you guys should be proud of him. And uh, So the reason I'm, I'm here this morning is because uh, Pastor Willie just didn't want to preach. The <laughs> reason I'm here this morning is because our, our churches have been on some similar journeys. Uh, we are about eight years old. And uh, I'm just going to, a part of this is our story, if that's okay with you guys. I'm from a church called Grace Life Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and our church was planted by Jerry Daly. Do you guys know Jerry Daly? He's on your oversight team, makes it here uh, on occasion. And so Jerry's on our oversight team. Uh, Jerry is on your oversight team. Jerry's had a lot to do with mentoring Pastor Willie. He's had a lot to do with mentoring me. And uh, so our churches were very, very similar in our nature and what we're trying to accomplish um, and so then that means also that our church is going to, our churches are going to face some of the same barriers and some of the same resistance in the world that we're trying to reach, right? Uh, and so we've been on a, a journey, uh, since, uh, at least for the last three years. And what started that is when we started the church, it's only eight years old, Jerry was the senior pastor, I was the associate pastor. And, uh, then he turned 70 and said, I'm done. And so I became the senior pastor. We actually had a little plan. We, we, we took about a year and a half to, to work that transition. And so I took over the church. Uh, we had been meeting in some rental spaces. We had been in schools, business college, classrooms, all sorts of different things. And uh, just like you guys, we recently moved into a space that's our own and uh, spent a lot of money making that space. Uh, and then uh, Jerry said, okay, Jimmy, you're the pastor. There's some money in savings. Have fun. Uh, there were about 130 people when I took over the church. It took about two months to get that to about 100. <laughs> Not exaggerating. Really began to wonder what God had actually called me to do, if He'd given me any gifting at all whatsoever. Uh, it took another six or eight months or something like that before the savings was no longer there. Um, people weren't really coming, and you start having those come to Jesus moments where you, you, you wonder, am I even called? Uh, God, why are you not funding your work? Why are you not doing what you're supposed to be doing? And, you know, hey, this is your church. You ever try that one? Hey, God, this is your church. It's going out of business, and that's your problem. All right. Uh, and, and so we, we started to study some different churches that were succeeding at reaching people. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do, right? 
Uh, I mean, we're a whole family, and it's great that we have family reunions, but if we're not taking more people to heaven, then, then we're not really doing the number one thing that Jesus told us to do. It's the Great Commission you guys have heard of. I'm not in my notes. Is that okay? Pa- Pastor Willie told me I had an hour. Is that good? All right, good. Actually, that's the one question I never asked you, so I'm innocent. Whatever happens, I am innocent. I don't know. Uh, but you guys know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, says go into all the world and have meetings and with your family. No, it's, we're here to reach people. And so I had to ask the question, are we reaching people? Is the church growing? Are we seeing new people come in? Because if the church is growing and we're seeing new people come in, then that should solve part of our financial problem we were facing at the time. And so I started studying some other churches and learning how other churches were doing some things. And, and so we've been on a journey of learning how to be more effective at the mission. And uh, so Pastor Willie and some of his, his team here, is, uh, we've been having a lot of conversations and talking. We've shared some resources with you guys. And, and then they came down to Columbia back, I believe, April it was. And we spent a whole Saturday together talking about how we can be effective at the mission and some things we can do. And, and so as we were talking about this and, and giving out all these ideas, and, you know, ideas do what? They, they cost money. And so it didn't take long before someone on your team asked, well, were you guys ever really, really tight financially? Uh, I mean, how did you implement all of these ideas and do all of these things? Uh, and the answer to that was, you bet. We were broker than broke. Uh, you know, we, we, we had a situation where uh, there were some, some people in the church when Pat Jerry was the pastor that had a lot of money. We're talking, they are millionaires. And uh, so if we didn't make it one month, they wrote checks. It was great. I could call people at the end of the month and say, uh, you got, could you give me about $7,000? Sure thing. Here you go. That wasn't there when I took over as the pastor. It didn't take long before we had a real problem. And so kind of, uh, if it's okay with you, we're going to pick up our story this year because the reason I'm here today is to, to kind of share what God has done with us over the last year and the changes that he's made. I walked in the first Sunday of February. And the bookkeeper came up to me and said, I can't write checks. Our bookkeeper did his job on Sunday mornings. That's stressful, by the way, if whoever, you know, to be writing checks, paying bills and, and all that, that's just crazy. But he did that on Sunday morning. He came to me and said, I can't write checks this morning. And I just figured this was another one of his faux pas, and I was ready to kind of, you know, not be very pastoral and smack him or something. You know. Do you forget to order checks again? What is the problem with you? All right. But I was nice, kept it under control. Why, Joe? Because we've got $37 in the bank. It takes $22,560 a month to run this building. The electric bill comes. The rent bill comes. The salaries need to get paid. And we've got $37 in the bank. In January, we made $17,000, which already was five or $6,000 in the hole. Can, can I tell you all, I was really about ready to let God have his church back. This is your problem, buddy. At least when I taught school, I got paid because I'm not so sure. I got kids, man. God, don't you know I got kids? I got four kids, God. My, my fourth child was born when I became the pastor, so I'll never forget how long I've been the lead pastor of the church because whenever her birthday pops up, there there we go. And So in all honesty, it brought out this thing where I just, I, when I keep joking about a come to Jesus meeting, um, if you've never had a real one, you, you don't know what I'm talking about because in the South, we use that phrase and it's humorous, but the reality is when you do go and, and you don't even get on your knees because you can't stand that high. You fall on your face and you're just really crying out like, God, really? I, I really thought that you put this church here. Matter of fact, 
our church had multiple prophetic words from multiple people that were word for word the same. That If that doesn't mean God is up to something, I don't know what is. And, and God had told me that I would be pastoring this church. I didn't tell anybody that. When I lived in North Carolina before I ever moved there to even be a part of the team. So God had been speaking things for years. And now all of a sudden, God is not doing the very things that he said he would do. Excuse me? <laughs> That'll cause you to have a moment of, well, am I just bad at what I do? Am I full of sin that I don't know about? Is there something going on? What, what is the problem? And so we, we started off with just a little search. The first thing we said is, okay, well, I, first thing I did, to be honest, is I called people who knew more than me. I called people like Jerry Daly and Michael Fletcher and some folks on our oversight team and said, help. And uh, Michael Fletcher is pastor of a church in Fayetteville that's about 8,000 members, and he's a very uh, business-organized kind of guy. So he started asking questions, and you know what I discovered? I didn't know the answers. He started saying, well, how, you know, how much money do you have? What's the average this? What's the average that? How many people are tithing? How many people are giving? Et cetera, et cetera. He just, uh, well, a lot, a few, a <laughs> little bit, some. You can't give those kinds of answers. And, and so I said, all right, somebody give me a report. Give me a, a report of all of 2012. Keep in mind that was the beginning of 2013. Somebody tell me what happened in 2012. Because I'm just sure people are, you know, people are doing what they should be doing. Guess what? People aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. What I discovered, and, and I don't know if this is your case here, what we discovered for us, we had, uh, I've got some stats here uh, to make sure I get this right. We had uh, about one-fourth of our church that came every Sunday morning gave absolutely nothing. Over half of our people gave less than $500 for an entire year. We had less than 20 families, I'm sorry, we had less than 10 families who were probably tithing biblically. And when we say that, I don't know their salary, so I don't know. But I can look and, and see when somebody drives a Corvette and gave $1,500 last year, they didn't make $15,000 last year. That's not a tithe, right? You guys are already looking scared. <laughs> this guy's doing math and talking about money. Honey, it's a good thing we didn't bring the checkbook. Yeah, relax, it'll be okay. We were able to start doing some math, and, and, and one of the, the, the big moments for me, those were all big moments, but when I looked and noticed that one of our largest givers, this was in our, our top 15 or so families, was an elderly shut-in woman tithing off of Social Security. When you have that going on, you realize you got a problem. And so I went to God and said, God, what's up with your people? <laughs> So this might go off better at a pastor's conference where they say these kinds of things in their head. I'll just let you guys into what we say. God, what's up with your people? Y'all know we do this. Moses did it. Go, go read Exodus. You'll see. We, do, we ask these questions. And, you know, God's answer was very simple. You haven't led them. Oh, my goodness. So it took me two weeks to figure out what I was going to do about this. And I stood up and simply gave them a, we are family. This is what we are here to do. This is your family. This is your church. And if you like coming to church here, you might want to think about that. And uh, that, that turned some things around. But what I also did was I stood up and, and acknowledged that I had not led them well, that I had not taught them on what the Bible had said. And, and so I began that message with a, a place of repentance uh, a place of acknowledging what I'd done wrong. And, and so I'd like to share with you, if that's okay, because this is what Pastor Willie's asked me to do, is to share with you what made a turnaround for us. 
Money was only one part of it, by the way. I'm not here just about money, if that's okay. Um, but but to, to share with what I had shared with our people at that point. And so I discovered I had not led well in three key areas. The first one is that I thought I could pastor better if I didn't know who gave. Because I had been in a lot of church situations where people would give money. Let me give you a perfect example. I used to be a worship pastor at another church. And we're very, very similar to this. Y'all see this pretty hardwood steps. Well, you know what else is pretty? Hardwood. And the pretty committee, that's what I call them. The pretty committee thought the stage should be hardwood. Now, the worship team in here, start laughing with me. When every person up here is doing this, and it's hardwood and hollow, and the drummer, and it's hardwood, and the guy's kicking on the bass drum, and it's sliding away from you because it's on hardwood. <laughs> Pastor, we, we cannot have hardwood. Can we please carpet the stage? No, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, so-and-so. She's our biggest giver, and she wants hardwood. That's exactly what I was told. I'm the worship pastor, but I'm being trumped on how to do my job because her checks are bigger. So I came into this. You know what happens. We all get hurt in this world. When you get hurt, you minister out of your hurt. So I came into pastoring, ministering out of that hurt. I said, I will not know who gives what. You give a lot of money, you're not getting anything. You don't give any money, I'm going to treat you the same. I'm not going to know. But you know, when I was having this two-week come to Jesus meeting, God told me, you know what, that's exactly like a wife looking at her husband. And saying, honey, I'm going to bed now. Don't worry, you can stay up as late as you want. I will not check the history on the computer, and I will not ask you what you did. Have a good night. Would that be a good idea? So when your pastor looks at you and says, I will never know. I will never look at tithing records. I will never look at giving records. You can give or not give. It is totally up to you. That's bad leadership. Second thing that I discovered, i got to look at my notes to make sure I even remember what I did, is I used to teach people when they'd come into the church, because I wanted to be a nice pastor. Bad pastors talk about money, right? I didn't want to be one of those pastors. I wanted to be a nice pastor. I said, I understand giving's hard. Giving's tough. Tithing is even harder. 10%. Oh, my gosh. Which one of us does not need 90% of, I'm sorry, only needs 90% of our income? I've yet to meet that person. I've got millionaire friends, and somehow they still need more than 90% of their income. I've yet to meet anybody who goes, you know, God just gives me so much money, I don't know what to do with it. I I could live off of like 70, you know. This whole tithing thing is ridiculous, right? I've never met anybody when you teach them on tithing, they're like, yeah, no problem, honey. we got 10%. We don't spend every month. It's easy. So I would teach people, why don't you try this? Start with one. Get one going. Build up to two. Build up to three. And you get where I'm going with that. So in my two-week come to Jesus meeting, God just looked at me and said, I said ten. Who are you to say one? Wow. Ouch. Third thing that we realized is that as a church and as a pastor, I was just flat out proud not to talk about money. We're not one of those churches. Matter of fact, doing what I'm doing now, I used to mock those guys. People who would up front talk about money in the church. Who, who do they think they are? That is, that's the reason people don't come to church. Because, you see, my problem... I don't, I, I grew up in the South where churches are, they've got a reputation, right? And I love Jesus and I love God. And when I turned 18, I went off to college and said, I'll never go to church again. And I love Jesus and I love God. I knew I was called to ministry. I did not know how that was ever going to work because I never intended to go to church again. It was the weirdest thing because <laughs> I hated the church. I hated the way people act. I hated that I went to church with my parents and then we all looked all holy and we wore our little suits and our little ties and we did all that little stuff. And then on Monday, somebody would call and my mom would say, don't answer the phone. If you answer, tell them I'm not here. You're not here. I think that's lying. I heard learned about that in Sunday school. And, and you know, the stories just go on. 
parents trying to kill each other kind of stuff, siblings throwing rocks at each other. I had two sisters, and they would take batons, and they would beat through each other's door. You talk about love on Sunday morning. We're a sweet little family. You get home, and all of a sudden you're chasing each other around the house with things. You, I don't want anything to do with the church. So I started, when I started being a pastor, I started looking at what makes people feel like me. What makes people not want to come to church? And one of them is that churches always talk about money. So I was proud that we didn't talk about money. I was proud that I had preached for two years and never said a word about it. And God said, well, money is a spiritual issue. Because I've told them what to do with their finances. I've told them how it's, a, it's going to be a, a, a trouble spot for them to give up that thing that can be an idol in our lives. It, it's a very spiritual issue. So if it's a spiritual issue, let me ask you this. This is God, right? Would you be proud if you didn't talk about prayer? Would you be proud if you didn't talk about morality? Would you be proud if you didn't talk about marriage? As a matter of fact, if you didn't teach on marriages, what kind of marriages will be in your church? If you didn't teach on morality, what kind of internet habits are going to happen with the men in your church? You see where I'm going with this? And so my problem is I discovered I had led very, very poorly. And so if it's okay with you guys, I, I, I just, I'm just going to share what I, I taught our church. I actually used to hold a Bible in my hand because you're, you're a better preacher with a Bible in your hand, right? <laughs> Pastor Willie and I were just talking about this and he told me how he's, he's stopped using his notes. I read the same book and thought that guy was insane. Stop using notes. Anyway, he's, he's a smarter man than I am because I tell you, y'all don't want me preaching without notes. <laughs> I, 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 it's not that I won't have something to say. It's that I'll have too much to say. I'll, we'll take that rabbit trail and I'll tell you this story so my notes will help us out here. So, uh, I, I, so at that point for us, we had spent two years studying everything we could do to make the church more mission focused, to make the church more accessible to people who wanted to meet Jesus because I truly do believe God's calling people to himself. And I truly do believe people want to meet Jesus. And I did this little study on my own. Do this for the fun of it. I went, I started at Matthew and I went through Acts, but predominantly Matthew through John. And I underlined every time there was a crowd around Jesus. Do you know what? That happens a lot. It happened so much it annoyed Jesus. And even when he tried to get away from the crowd, he couldn't get away from the crowd. So I started thinking this. If I bring a couple hundred people together once a week, to worship Jesus, there might should be a crowd. So we had been studying our, our systems and our processes, and we had discovered we were just doing some things uh, that didn't help the way we did them or the way we said them. You know, you can do things the same way, but, but it's a matter of, of, or you can do the same things, but it's a matter of how you do it that can make this one person think, I don't want anything to do with that if that's your idea of God. And so we had changed a lot of stuff, but then we were still broke. So here we are back to February, $37 in the bank. And so I call and uh, my oversight guy say, well, you need to teach them on money. Well, the problem is I can't teach on money because we, we were 18 months out with our series planning. And I can interrupt that, but I couldn't interrupt the next two months because you all know Easter was in March of last year. So, so we've got all kinds of new people coming. The last thing I want to do is, hey, welcome to church. We're going to talk to you about your money. Uh, and then Easter, you know, Easter is your biggest Sunday of the year. And then what do you hope to do is new people after Easter come back. So we don't stand up on Easter and say, hey, come back next week because we're going to tell you how you should be giving me more money. That doesn't work. So here's my problem is, is I couldn't teach on money for about four months. I couldn't teach on biblical finances and, and I wasn't going to be around for four months. So one of the things that we did at that point is I just, I just preached a normal message. And then at the end of the message, I still said before you guys leave today. Uh, you can actually go to our church's Vimeo page or something like that and see this, this little message. And I took about seven or eight minutes and just said, look, here's the deal. God gave us a vision. 
But right now we're aiming for survival. There's all kinds of things God called us to do. And I was able to list numerous things that we had said no to. People had invited us to go and teach in Afghanistan. Now, a lot of people don't want to go to Afghanistan, but we've got some crazy people that want to go to Afghanistan and tell people about Jesus. We're near an army base, and so we've got people who have already been to Afghanistan. They'd much rather go with a Bible than a gun. So they were ready to go. We didn't have the money. We had people who had invited us into Pakistan and some other places to do some things, and, and uh, we'd had to say no. We'd had some people ask for some needs, and we said... <laughs> Uh, sorry, we're not sure. We're going to pay our own light bill. We, we can't help you with those needs. And so we are choosing, hoping, not, it's even that bad, we're hoping for survival. Vision is off the table. So it's your church. I don't have time to teach you on what the Bible says about money, etc., 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 etc. You choose. Your family, your church, survival or vision, 2013. January was $17,000. February was $42,000. Turns out that people wanted to accomplish a vision. Turns out that people wanted to give if they just knew why. You know what I've discovered? We all give to what we believe in. Some of us give to the Republican Party. Some of us give to the Democratic Party. Some of us give to the Salvation Army. Some of us give to Boy Scouts. You give to what you believe in. You might give to Toyota because you believe in nice new cars with leather seats. But you give to what you believe in. I've yet to find anybody with their entire paycheck sitting uncashed because they can't figure out what they believe in. We all believe in something. You believe in your 60-inch TV. Whatever it is, we give to what we believe in. The reason people weren't giving is because our church wasn't doing anything they believed in. And because I hadn't given them a reason. And so as soon as I stood up and gave them, here's what God's called us to do if we could only fund it. So at this point, if it's okay with you, I'm going to share with you what I did share with our people at that point. Um, and uh, this was about four months later. They're giving. Keep, I want you to understand something. They were giving. They were tithing. Our average income was now well, well above what it used to be. Our giving was up 55%. We were doing amazing things. Everything was, was great. So you would say, well, wait a minute. I thought you only teach on giving to beat people into giving more money. No. Teach on giving now just like I teach on prayer. We just finished the three-week prayer series. I don't teach on prayer because I assume they're not praying. I just teach on prayer because we need to know. And so I taught on giving not to beat people into submission. They were already doing it. And here's the thing. I asked Willie about some numbers. And the truth is you guys are already doing it. At least evidently an overwhelming majority of you. So I'm not here to, to correct anybody or beat anybody into whatever. Evidently, I told Willie, Pastor Willie, I've got some, some great numbers. You guys are doing some good stuff. You believe in what you're doing. You believe in, in the vision. And so I, I'm not sharing this as Pastor Willie saying, can you come and help me? No, that was not it at all. Matter of fact, he even said, I teach on money. I've got that. Don't worry about that. Just come and explain what you did inside of your story and how our church began to make a difference. Okay. And so the other part of this is, Took over the church at 130. Two months later, we were at 100. Um, last summer, we finally, after it took about a year and a half, two years of studying some other churches and finally starting to put some things into place, and then people would finally start to come and say, all right, I can worship Jesus here. And so uh, we ended up going to two services, and now we're averaging about 330 people on most weekends. Uh, and, and so that last year, we were averaging about 170. We've almost doubled in the last year. Our giving is almost um, 60% higher than what it used to be. God is just doing amazing things. And so I, I know God is doing amazing things here. You guys have a special church, and I don't have to say that. Y'all know I don't have to say that, right? You have an incredibly diverse church, and we do too. And in the South, you know how special that is? I mean, y'all are from Virginia. I'm from South Carolina. We started the war. 
When you can have a diverse church there, which that was one of our first things. We said there's already a church on every corner in Columbia, South Carolina, but there's not a church that lets black and white worship together. I mean, nobody's going to throw you out. They'll let you sit on the back row, but they're going to look at you. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. So, so we have a church just like you guys. It looks very, very similar. You guys are doing some great things. You're on mission. Uh, Pastor Willie's incredibly humble. Uh, I was talking to him last night about the same problem. We had a problem where nobody would sit on the front row, so I came in and roped off the back rows. So uh, that's where those ropes come from. If you think that's a good idea, pat him on the back for being humble. If you think it's a bad idea, blame me. It's all good. So what I shared with our people, after they were giving, after they were tithing, after they were doing what they needed to do, I said, okay, but let's make sure we understand what God has said about this. So I'm not here to rebuke you. Is that okay? But I wanted to share why I think we do need to tithe, why we do need to give. And there are some very simple reasons. The first one, uh, the first reason that we tithe is because this shows how much we honor God. It, it's just a flat-out scriptural principle. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Uh, the point is that we're honoring God. We are putting Him first in our lives. You see, when you give back to Him, you are honoring Him as recognize, you honor Him by recognizing that He's your ultimate provider. It's not you, it is Him. Honoring is trusting that if we give the very best to Him and the first to Him, that He will provide for us. Honoring Him is doing what He says because He is God. And he says to give the first 10%. You say, wait a minute, where does he say that? Well, Malachi 3 says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside. You have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. But return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, wait a minute, how shall we return? Will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? And you say, what? How have we robbed you? When did we come to heaven and take your gold? I can't even get to heaven. I'm a human being. What are you thinking? I don't go down to the temple and steal from that. How dare you tell me I'm robbing you, God? God says, in your tithes and contributions. Because God laid out very clearly. This word that I read over, I don't know if it's got underlined on your part, the the my statutes. You see, my statutes simply means my ways. Any fathers and mothers in here, you have statutes in your house? There are some things that just are not going to happen in your house. And you don't give an answer for You know, I've got four kids and they start chasing each other around or beating each other. I was like, stop it. We don't do that. It's not in our family. We're not doing that. You're not hitting each other in our family. We're not discussing it. I'm not explaining it. This is not doing it. And this is what God says. This is my statute. This is my way. If you read another version, I'm, I'm doing the ESV if that's okay with you guys. That's just what I'm most comfortable with. But other versions use the word ordinances. And that means my ordinary Ways, my ordinary practices that I expect from my people. In other words, tithing is not an exceptional thing. It's my ordinary thing that God wants. For me, it's what He considers ordinary. Honoring is doing what He says because He's God, period. He says, I do it. I honor Him. It it goes like this. There's a little equation. He commands, I obey, means He's God. But, if I read the Bible with this attitude that says... Well, he suggests. And then I'll decide if I'm going to do that or how much I'm going to do that. Then what I really mean is he's an advisor. He's not God. He's just an advisor. And then we go getting all upset because the doctor tells you, well, you've got cancer. And you you get down with God. Excuse me, God, I'm not dying in four months like the doctor says. I need you to show up in my life. I need you to be God. God says, really? 
You never wanted me to be God before. I was your advisor before. I said, don't look at this on the internet. I said, give in this way. I said, honor your spouse in this way. I said, raise your children in this way. You didn't want any. Those were just friendly suggestions. And now all of a sudden, you want me to show up and mess with your natural reality. You wanted your natural reality. Excuse me. It's honoring God. It's just the reality that every single time we get paid, we take a test. That's all there is to it. Every single time you get paid. If you are a kid and you get paid $5 a week for cleaning your room, or if you are an adult and you get paid $100,000 a year, for when you get paid, every single paycheck is a test. And it's a test of who are you going to honor. Are you going to honor God or are you going to honor yourself? You see, when you honor God, it goes like this. Man, I went to work. I went to work because God gave me health. I could go to work. I know people who can't go to work. I could go to work. And I could do my job well because God gave me intelligence. Matter of fact, God gave me enough intelligence that I get paid twice as much as that guy who doesn't use intelligence. I don't want to insult any jobs or anything, but y'all know what I'm saying. And so if you were smarter and you did this and you got a great job, it's not because you were great. And so you, you take the approach, God gave me this job, God gave me this opportunity, God gave me this strength, God gave me the wisdom to get out of bed and go to work. God, I'm going to honor you. Or the other way is I honor myself. I'm smart. I studied in school. I work hard. I deserve a little something. 60-inch TV, new Honda. God, there ain't nothing left for you. I mean, I'd love to give. Christmas time, I'll write an extra check, God. I'll do that. I'll, I'll give to the, the children's orphan fund at Christmas. I'm kind of wrapped up right now, you know, because I need a new TV. I've I got to honor me. I work hard. Second reason we need to tithe is because it's just biblical. Honestly, in the church, that should be enough, shouldn't it? That should be enough. If you keep reading in Malachi, it says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. That's a key part we'll get back to later, because God just cleared that up. If you ever wonder where your tithe goes, he just said that. Bring the tithe into the storehouse, that there will be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed. Those words are opposite. You see the word cursed we started with and the word we end with was blessed. Now, there are a lot of people at this point, a lot of church people that object to this whole idea of, of curse at this point. So wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I cannot be cursed. Right? And they throw out Galatians 3. Y'all know Galatians 3 that says, For Jesus died. Jesus became a curse for us so that we would no longer be a curse. We would no longer be under the curse. And here's where people misunderstand. This is where theology gets in the way of something incredibly practical. We, we don't understand that, yes, Jesus became a curse, but what that really means is, let me make this as simple. Can we stop talking about money and just do the gospel for a second? Is that okay? Y'all like the gospel here? All right, this is real simple. We have a perfectly holy, awesome God. Perfectly holy. And then over here we have this thing called sin. And sin is anything that is an offense against His holiness. And for, for, for whatever unfortunate reason, the penalty for this unholiness is death. And so if there is 
any unholiness in you. People all the time go, oh, I didn't kill anybody. God's got to love me. Look, it doesn't matter what it is. If there is anything other than perfect holiness in you, and it, it, listen, if you are the greatest person who ever lived, and the only day, one day, it was your kindergarten teacher. She just set you off. You called her a name and had a bad attitude. But you've been an angel every other day of your entire life. You've never gotten mad in traffic. You've never had a sinful thought. You've never coveted when you saw the four-letter word sale at the mall. You've never done anything except that one day in kindergarten. That's all it takes. Because all that matters is holy not. It's not varying degrees. This is one of the things we don't understand in the South. I'm basically a good person. I go to church. I give a little money. I do a little this. I do a little of that. I volunteer in children's church. Get off my back. I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. It's really this. Holy, not. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty to remove the not. It's that simple. You see, the punishment of the curse is that we spend eternity away from God. Eternal punishment. We we lose that eternal life that we're supposed to have with Him. Jesus became a curse to remove that Curse, that is the curse. The negative consequence of the not holy is the curse of eternal punishment. Jesus took that away so that we would have eternal life, that you could become holy by his blood. Nowhere, hear me, nowhere in Scripture does it say because Jesus died, you cannot have negative consequences in this life for disobeying God. Nowhere. God says... Be obedient to all scripture, all, all subjects and authorities that are that are governing right now, right? Well, that's where, if, if anybody ever said, is obeying the speed limit in the Bible? Yeah, that's it, right there. I have to admit, I don't do that one well. I was a youth pastor in college and got so many tickets that if I got one more, I was going to lose my license, and yet I was a youth pastor. It got to a point as the youth pastor, I had to start asking people to give me a ride around because I didn't like to go to speed limit. And, and you just, just try this next time a cop pulls you over. You can't give me that ticket because I'm not under the curse. <laughs> Galatians 3.13 is even on my license plate. <laughs> See how that goes over. So we get people, when we try to teach about this, they say, well, wait a minute, I can't be under the curse, so this Malachi verse is not talking to me. That's not what it's talking about at all. You see, God said, honor me with your finances or your finances are going to be cursed. In this life, there's going to be problems with your money. Period. You see, another part of our story is that while our church is broke and we've got $37 in the bank and God says, well, you haven't led the people. You need to teach the people. I'm looking at our, are you crazy? Don't you know how broke our people are? Do you know how many of our people are asking me for a good bankruptcy attorney? Do you know how many of our people are, are on food steps? God, don't you know anything about our people? And you want me to teach them to give more? They are too broke. And he just said, they're broke because you haven't told them to give. They're cursed. And it's your fault. You mean not only do I have to repent for all that, I have to turn, stand up and tell them, I am sorry you are filing for bankruptcy and you haven't paid your mortgage in three months because it's my fault. Because 12 months ago, I didn't teach you, you better start honoring God with your finances. Yep, and I did. Another objection people give to this idea of tithing a lot is they say, well, it's the law. And Jesus has, has said the, the law is set aside. It's, it's the law. We don't need to do the law anymore. Can I tell you two things? First of all, it ain't the law. 
And then we'll get to the second one in a second. Here's my point. Genesis 14. Do y'all know when the law... Do y'all know anything about the law? I, I mean, I'm not trying to bore you with one of those dumb preacher things, but, but do you know about the law? Where did it come from? Moses. God and Moses. Right, this is Genesis 14. Moses is not around yet. This is Abraham. And Abraham got into a little skirmish, and Abraham was blessed. And so Abraham went right from there, and he found a man of God. And we're going to pick this up right here in Genesis 14, verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Matter of fact, all of the book Hebrews is comparing Jesus to this guy, Melchizedek. That's another day. And he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram. He's not even Abraham yet. That's crazy. Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what did Abram do? Gave him a tenth of everything. Here's what you need to understand. Tithing is not the law. Tithing is a principle of honor. It's a principle of honoring God. It says, God enabled my victory. God gave me wealth. God blessed me. I want to honor God because of what he did. Just so you know, this was 500 years before the law. 500 years before the law. Can, can, I, can I just mess with you for a minute? Can we just pretend for a minute it was the law? This is point number two. Let's pretend it was the law. What if tithing were the law? You know what we're talking about? We're talking about the Ten Commandments. Shall not steal. Shall not lie. Shall not commit adultery. Okay. Let's just pretend. Can you all go with me? Let's pretend tithing is the law. Jesus has set aside the law. We don't have to do that anymore. That's funny. Because, you know, can you imagine a guy showing up in my office? Y'all having an affair? Yeah, I was having an affair because I'm not under the law anymore. What do you think his wife would do about that? How many parents in the room have given your permission for your children to lie to you as much as they want because they're not under the law? The law says do not lie. How many of you go down to the store and you just take whatever you want and when the cop tries to stop you, you slap him with your purse and say, excuse me, I'm not under the law. You can let me have whatever I want. We won't do that. But we try to say, well, tithing's under the law. I don't have to tithe. Okay, first of all, it's not under the law, but just for the fun of it, let's pretend it were. You should still be doing it. Because here's what we need to understand about the law. The law has been set aside back to the gospel for a second. Meaning, we don't have to do it to get into heaven. That's all that means. Because what we seem to miss a lot in Bible Belt South, I grew up here, I can pick on us, okay? What we tend to do a lot is to say that, that I don't have to do these things because Jesus... But we misunderstand the very point of the law. The very point of the law was God in heaven said, let me teach you about my nature. My nature is only truth, therefore do not lie. My nature is blessed of provision and be content with what you have, therefore do not steal. My nature is the two shall become one, therefore do not commit adultery. And although Jesus has fulfilled the law, God's nature has not changed. It will never change. And so the principles that we see in the law will never change. So if you think tithing is in the law because you missed my first point, you should do it. It's not in the law. What about this? Let's just go with this. What if Jesus told you to tithe? Because you know what people tell me all the time? Tithing's in the Old Testament. All that Malachi stuff. You cannot spell Malachi. You cannot find Malachi. What are you talking about? It's in the Old Testament, man. We're not under the Old Testament law anymore. 
thought I made that point clear. Okay, let's just do one more. And seriously, like you cannot win a tithing argument with me anymore, just so you know. In Matthew 23, 23, that's New Testament just for the record. And that's Jesus. Jesus was rebuking religious people. And he said, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Look, I don't know about y'all, but if somebody gives me a bag of mint, I don't cut 10% up and go give it away. So, I mean, I'm not even sure I tithe sometimes, you know. I mean, somebody gave me a box of donuts. I I did not put two of them in the offering plate. (laughs) So these people are being that, that specific and that legalistic that they are bringing 10% of anything from gold coins to spices that they grew in their garden. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you should have done without neglecting the others. Here's the thing. Jesus did not look at them and say, why are you tithing? You know that's the law. I fulfilled that thing. You know that's Old Testament. And if y'all think, by the way, that Jesus didn't do that, y'all haven't read your Bibles. Because all Jesus did was go around and overturn tables and tell them, why can't I heal on the Sabbath? Y'all got that totally misunderstood. I can heal on the Sabbath. Why wouldn't I bring life on the Sabbath? How dare you do that in my father's house? Jesus went around and confronted them on every single thing they misunderstood. He told them every single thing that they had wrong. Why would he not stop right here and finally clear this up for 2,000 years and plus some? Why would he finally not say, y'all need to stop it. That's under the law. What did he say? This you should do, but you shouldn't have forgot that. And we'll take it one step further. If Jesus didn't think that was a good idea, why did Jesus look at that poorest, poorest widow over there who will not be able to feed herself dinner and dropped her money in and he did not look at her and go, foolish woman, don't you know that's not even necessary anymore? What did Jesus do? He praised her. He praised her for doing something that we all in great wealth think isn't even biblical anymore. Third reason we should tithe is simply because it's stewardship. God's given us something, and we, tr- we, we, we trust it well. We take care of it well. God's given you your very life, by the way. It's, your whole life is stewardship. Luke 16 says, If you then have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? You know what? I've seen this play out so many times. I've seen young men who wanted to go into ministry. They, they preach great. They learn how to... D- you talk, are you praying with your wife? They start praying with their wife every day. They're, they're, they're reading scripture. They're, they're discipling their kids. And yet God still won't promote them to that next step. So I'd say, let me look at your checkbook. Oh, it's funny. If you can't take care of the little green sheets of paper that you get here on earth, God's certainly not going to give you his people and all of his people's money. If you're not going to be able to get your own life straight and live by his own principles, by the way, when I did that 2012 year-end report, I fired somebody because I found out one of my employees wasn't on it. Excuse me? You're going to let all these people come in here and tithe and give their hard-earned money to you as a salary, and then you aren't giving God one penny of it? At Grace Life, you don't take from a system you don't contribute to. It was her last day. I don't know what y'all think of me after that, but that's just who I am. I don't, I don't play. Let me show you something here. Stewardship, right? This whole concept, 2013, electric bill. Who do you all pay for your electricity around here? All right. We pay S-E-E-N-G, whatever that means. 
Here's the thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. It's expensive. God forgot that we would need to pay the electric bill. God did not think ahead that when we did not want to meet under a tent in an ice storm on December 8, 2013, that walls cost money. Well, that gummit, God, what's up? See, here's the crazy thing. God told us to go into all the world and spread the gospel. And he knew that that was going to take money. He funded his church long ago. He funded his church with 10% of all that he gives his people. Here's the crazy part. It's only 10%. Can I, can I borrow somebody? Jason, can I borrow you for a minute? Can, can I borrow you? It's Virgil, right? Virgil, let me borrow you. And uh, what's your name? I know your name. I met you. Drew. Come on up, Drew. Let me borrow you. Can I do that? These are my guinea pigs. It's a great, great illustration. And I tell you it's great because I also stole it, just so you know. Here's the point here. Let's say that I'm going on a trip. I've got to go to another country. God has called me to go and preach to the Pakistanis for a year. woo It's fun. I just came back from Turkey. I'll tell you what, I love doing crazy stuff like that. And so I'm going to be gone for a year, and I would like for you guys to take care of my family. Is that okay? That's that a good deal. All right, so here's how this is going to work. I am going to give you, Jason, $10,000 a month. I need you to give 1000 of that to my wife while I'm gone. Every month, just give her $1,000. You get $10,000 because basically I'm giving you $9,000 for your own trouble, for your own time, for your own effort, if you can just give her $1,000 a month. Is that okay with you? All right. <laughs> Jason's going, man, I just wish this were real. <laughs> this man's mean. He's setting me up, and I'm going to go back to reality in a minute. Virgil, we're going to do the same deal because my wife needs $3,000 a month. So, so you're going to be number two. You're going to give her $1,000 a month. I'm going to give you $10,000, $9,000 for your trouble. Is that okay? Yeah. Drew, same thing. A couple of months go by, I pick up the phone. Hey, honey, how's it going? How's the kids? Everything good? Able to pay the bills? Everything all, working out all right? How, how's it going? And my wife, she says, well, we know Jason. Jason's doing exactly what you asked. $1,000 every single month comes in on time, no problem whatsoever. All right, good, 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 good. Then there's Virgil. <laughs> and my wife, my wife says, I don't know why, but Virgil just really thinks that you're amazing. He, he just is blown away by how much you bless him. He gives me 2000 a month. I, I just don't know why. was the Holy Spirit that told you to stand in the middle, right? right? There you go. Nothing's by accident. All right. What about Drew? I don't really know what's going on with Drew. The check stopped coming. I'm in trouble. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. The Bible calls the church... The bride of Christ. This is his bride. And he has given every single one of us 90% for our trouble of giving 10% to fund the mission that he's given it. That looks ridiculous to you. Because you, 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 you laugh 
you wouldn't have one second's thought to say and cut Drew off. And you wouldn't have one second's thought to say and give Virgil double because he's given extra. And then we sit in heaven, but we sit here looking at God in heaven and say, God, I need more money because my car payment won't allow me to tithe. Let me tell you what, you might need to make a tough call. You might need to make a tough call. There's actually a website. There's a, I wish I remembered the address. You can figure it out because Google is amazing. <laughs> something about my junk car or something. There is a website of ministry-focused people who are driving cars around that have seven colors of paint and three layers of Bondo, and they post their cars saying, yeah, I drive this car because my money goes there. It's a bunch of pastors and missionaries and people giving money to missionaries. There's, an, there's actually a website. You can figure this thing out. Look it up for yourself. At this point, it's pretty simple. Every one of us gets to make a choice. We're going to choose either blessing or curse. God has said, take care of my bride. Here's 100%. And the cool thing is God did percentages. Because God didn't say, I'm going to give you 1,000 and everybody owes me 950. And then Virgil would be broke. No, whatever he gave you, he said, be content. Don't be suckered into this world. Here's the problem. We're suckered into this world. We live in an incredibly materialistic society. And we look at things and we've just got to have it. You see, God knew that was coming. He knew that we live in a world where, well, that building's newer and that car's nicer and that's newer and that steak smells better and, and whatever it is, we want it. And I'm not too holy to stand here and tell you, I, I'm, I'm not there. I, it's, 60-inch TVs would sound really good to me. i got a 32-inch tube TV I can't lift by myself. The, the big box kind of thing. Yeah. It's all right. Because you've got to do what you've got to do. And uh, I don't think I could watch that big TV if it were my tithe check. I'd, I'd feel too guilty the whole time. I don't know. I'd, I, just, I just couldn't do that. Every paycheck is a test of who you're, whom you're going to honor from this point forward. I can't stand here today and tell you you should give 1%. That's not going to let work. I can't tell you to work up. You know what I can tell you to do? Go sell a car. Stop shopping. Do what you would do if you had to. If you came home unemployed suddenly, you know what you'd do? You'd stop eating out. You'd stop buying new clothes. I have four kids now. I used to have one. I stopped buying new clothes long ago. <laughs> it doesn't happen anymore. It's just the way it is. It, it, whatever the case, you would make those drastic effects. But the funny thing is when somebody says, this is truth, this is how to follow God. It's like, I don't know, that's not quite so drastic. I'm not so sure I'm going to take that step, go to where I need to go. So here's, here's the good news. I'm going to wrap this up with good news. Is that okay with you guys? Because I'm going to finish with our story. February is $37 in the bank. A couple of weeks later, greatest month we ever had, followed by another greatest month we ever had, followed by another greatest month we ever had. And we started doing some things that gave people a reason to give to the church. We started doing things with vision. We started doing things to make a difference. And we also started working with wisdom. You know, just like if you're broke because you've got a car you can't afford and you ask God for more money, God's saying, no, 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 get, get content with what I've given you first. Get rid of that car. Someday I'll be happy to give you another car. Someday I'll be happy to increase your salary, but right now I'm teaching you something about your soul. And you know what? We were running our church that way. We, we did not understand God was giving us this much every month, and we're spending that much every month. And we're just like, well, God, you need to fund your church. He's like, no, no, no. You need to be content with what you got. 
You don't get paid what you think you want to get paid. You don't buy this that you don't want to. I mean, because y'all know how we are in churches. We need new projectors. We need new keyboards. And it's like, no, use the old one or whatever the case is. So we had to get our attitudes right. We had to check what we were doing. And then God started to bless our socks off. Amazing things happened. Here's what we've done in 2013. Remember, 2012 was, let's survive. 2012 was the nursery lady asking me, do you think I can afford to buy goldfish for Sunday? No lie, that was a true story. Could we afford goldfish crackers for Sunday? And my answer was no. So her husband bought them for us. That was 2012. 2013, we came up with an idea to give $2,500 in grants to teachers just for the fun of it, to education for the, our local school district so that they could do things in the classroom that the school district wasn't going to pay for. So we gave out five $500 grants. Now, you know what was cool? What was cool was having every single teacher in our school district, and it's a big school district, figure out that we exist. That's a good trick, by the way. Do you know how many teachers visited our church over the next few months? Some of them have joined us because they said, if this is the kind of difference you want to make, I want to be a part of that. And we funded programs for autism to do this and that education to do that and that language class to do that. We, 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 we decided to do a week of Serve Our City projects. And so we renovated some, some uh, uh, DD, is it DDS, is that right? Uh, there's a, we've got a house for foster children who are in, in highly vol, uh, volatile situations where no one can know where they are because someone may try to hurt them or take them, that kind of situation. So it was an old, beaten down, run-down house in a part of town. We renovated it. We paid some money for that. Gave 1,200 man hours, $6,000. We sent teams to Slovakia to work there with the youth camp. We sent teams to Indonesia to learn how to minister with Muslims. How do we reach Muslims? If we don't learn how to reach Muslims, we're going to regret it someday, by the way. That's another message, too. We sent a pastor to Turkey to learn how we can do church planning there and how we can work on human trafficking rescue efforts. There are currently 27 million people enslaved today. Did y'all know that? There are more people enslaved today than there were in the entire African-American slave trade from beginning to end. 27 million people today. And the major hub is Istanbul, Turkey. And so we went there to figure out what can we do? How can we open up a safe house? What can we do? Because we've got money to do stuff we could never do before. We sent a pastor to Azerbaijan, which is mostly a Muslim former KGB kind of country, to go and train with some pastors that are there. We set aside an entire month's expenses so that no one will ever look at me again and say we have $37 in the bank. Never again. You should run your house, by the way, like that. What does it take you per month? You should have at least one. Dave Ramsey says like three to six. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But we should work on it, right? And the church was the same way. How did the church get the $37 a month? Because they had a bad leader, but at least I learned. What am I saying? Where's my list? And then we paid off that debt. We had moved into a building, a new building like this, and we had, we had, it was horrible finance. We couldn't get a bank to finance us. So somebody else came up with a creative financing idea. You know what creative financing stands for? You can't afford it. <laughs> if the bank won't give you a loan, you don't need one. That's why the Bible says don't co-sign. When, when one of your relatives comes to you and says, I need you to co-sign because the bank won't trust me, there's a reason the bank doesn't trust you. <laughs> the bank does this for a living. They want to give you money because you will owe them more if they're not willing to do what they are built to do. All right, enough on that one. That's another lecture. <laughs> but we had put a loan with our builder. 
with him. And so we were paying 8% interest while everybody, the economy tanked about us paying 3% on loans. We're still paying 8 And it was a graduated loan because we were broke. Said, we're going to take out a loan with you, hoping we're going to grow as a church and we're going to pay you more at the end than we are right now. Guess what? We were four and five years into this thing and we were not any bigger. And we were as broke as we had ever been. And we were in trouble. And then it got worse because I went to the landlord and said, I don't, I don't have the money. I don't have it. But I don't want to stiff you, so let's just let's come to an agreement. He said, okay, agreement is I'm going to take this entire year. You don't have to pay. But I'm going to tack it on with interest later. So we had this huge amount of money that we owed. We started the loan with $90,000, and here we are five years in. We still owed seventy. And our payment was about to go from 1200 a month to 2500 a month for a church that can't even pay the bills it's got, right? You know the coolest thing for me in October? I wrote a check for 68396 whatever it was. Took it to them, and we put it on the screen for the church. Isn't that cool? When your church gets out of debt, that's cool. What are we doing for 2014? For the first time, all of our ministry leaders are not hearing the word no when they submit their budgets. As a matter of fact, I even told them to submit your budget and use this word, dream. What could you do to reach people in our city? What could you do? Let's figure out if we can fund it. You, you just dream. You just bring your ideas. Amazing things. Our budget last year was $272,000. Our budget for next year is four hundred and twenty. Same people. Just people that understand God's not your advisor. His Bible's not your advisor. And what he says about finances is not optional. And your church can't do the mission it's called to do if it's just barely trying to survive. Is that good? That's our story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you guys so much for having me here. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace.